This is Mercy Harper, writer for Research Services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Dan French, CEO of Consider Solutions, to talk about what's in store for finance teams in 2022 and beyond. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thanks very much, Percy. Pleased to be here. I've also got Megan McCullough here, who's leading APQC's Financial Management Trends and Priorities Survey. Hey there, Mercy and Dan. So I know that Megan and I are both excited to hear your insights about the future of finance, Dan. But first, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Okay, so my background's a little bit unusual, but maybe a, a product of the time. I um, I grew up in the UK, just outside of London, did the usual thing, went to school. I got By the time I got to the age of 18, I was wor working kind of evenings and Saturday jobs and we, at home. We didn't have much money. So I was looking around and seeing things were going on in the world. And I, I needed, I definitely knew I needed to have some money. So when the idea of going to university came up, I thought that yeah, I'm not doing that. I can't, you know, I can't afford to live another three years like that. So I, I went out to get a job. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Apparently at school, I thought I might want to be an engineer, but I didn't really know the difference between an engineer and a mechanic. So um, <laughs> I didn't do that. Um, and uh, I fell into a job in IT purely because I asked a careers advisor at school, what's, um, what's the best paid job for somebody who's 18 years old but doesn't have a uni university degree? And they, the answer was, you can either go into printing, which showed, dates me quite a lot because, you know, they, apparently that was quite well paid for people involved in printing newspapers and stuff. Or you can go into this, this thing called information technology. And I thought they both sounded horrible. But I, I went for a few interviews and got this job in IT. So I went through a job in IT, kind of going through the basic level. So I thought it was kind of quite interesting, but I thought it was going to be full of geeks. And it, and it actually wasn't as full of geeks as, as I thought it'd be, but... Um, I went through that. I joined a con then I moved on, joined a consulting company, which I thought was going to be all about technology. And very quickly, I realized it was all about processes and the way big companies work. And my first job had been with a very large um, UK consumer goods company. And I thought, OK, that's kind of interesting. And then and over time, I, I moved on again and I evolved into um, managing kind of our customer relationships at a couple of these companies and working out, trying to work out how to deliver value whilst managing multiple different views of what the value really is, because mm -hmm. I found different people in the organization thought different things are important, which is kind of no surprise for anybody listening to this, but when you're starting out, it is quite a surprise. Um, so when it got to the early 2000s, you know, building all that experience, I got the opportunity to start a business, um, which is focused on uh, the finance function of global organizations, the processes that they um, they participate in and lead, um, how they get integrated, and the kind of issues of risk and opportunity, and how do you make things better, and um, how do you improve those processes? And certainly in the last probably well probably throughout this past sort of eighteen years, uh, the growing realization that human behavior, however much we do digital transformation, human behavior is a massive impact on these processes. So that's kind of really got me thinking quite a lot. And one of my good friends and co-founder is also a behavioral scientist, which kind of helps. So that's where I am now. I'm doing that. Very cool. What an incredible journey. Thanks so much, Dan. 
So Dan, 2020 was a huge disruption for all organizations and 2021 hasn't been much easier. But of course, every challenge provides learning that we can use to do things better in the future. So how do you think finance teams can use what they've learned from navigating the past two years to prepare for potential disruptions in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, this is a really interesting topic and it's a really common discussion I'm having with customers and business partners around the world. So if you kind of look at the positive of it, you know, the last 18 months, two years, you know, in up until 2019, we always talked in business and in finance about change and how it's always constant and how you've got to manage it and be in control of it and all that stuff. Well, it turned out that was all rubbish because um, we've proven that we are creatures of habit, um, but we can do amazing things when faced with a compelling reason to act. So the idea of managing and being in control of change and all that stuff is kind of proven not to be quite as, I mean, it, it is important to be prepared for it and to know how to deal with it, but we're never, we never really manage it. We manage the effects of it. So I think what was really interesting is how we turned on a dime, you know, in March last year, everything was normal and all of a sudden, well, pretty normal. Then all of a sudden everyone was working at home and loads of things had to change. And it's amazing how well we did, you know, instantly pretty much changing stuff that was obvious to change and some stuff that wasn't obvious to change. There was some technology stuff that people had to change, which was really under the covers. You had to be a, an expert to know about. I mean, we had, we had uh, problems with VPN access to our office because mm. a lot of our secure systems are behind a VPN wall, but, most people were in offices, so it didn't matter. We suddenly found we didn't have enough users. You know, the license didn't allow everyone to connect from outside. Silly stuff, but it stopped us for about a day until we fixed that. Um, but, you know, those, I think, you know, that is really tremendous. And most organizations will say they're astonished by how quickly and how well they responded. And, and there's kind of big, a big feeling of euphoria almost that, oh, how, you know, how well we've done. You know, that's amazing. So, but I think the impact of all that is both positive and negative. So the positive bit is we've created a realization we can be as agile as we want to be, that with focus and determination, we can change practices and processes really quickly. And you don't need lots of time to think about it. And sometimes stuff you do quickly can be just as good as stuff you take a long time thinking about. <laughs> and that's a big lesson for a lot of people, right? So that's kind of really good news. And and I think we must never forget that because we've learned stuff that we should, you know, we shouldn't just go back to the way we did stuff before. We've got to remember that you can do things fast and say, yeah, we might make a few mistakes, but if we're clear about what we're trying to get done, I think we've proven that this creatures of habit business is when forming habits, it's quite good to form them quickly. And when breaking habits, you want to break them quickly. But if you, if you let the plane, if you let the pain drag on for months and months and months, as humans, we're not very good at that. You, you want to get into a two or three month process and you're doing a new thing, but you don't want to be sort of dragging halfway between one world and the other. So, so that, I think that's a real positive. The negative is that early in the pandemic, I think there was a, a massive amount of adrenaline, almost excitement, even though there was a fear associated with it. There was a lot of, uh, there was a kind of boost and a lot of organizations noticed or felt you know our productivity is better you know work-life balance is better you know everything's great you know you know perhaps we don't need offices anymore whatever but um i think what you're seeing now 
is a lot of large organizations, and I don't think it's just large organizations actually, but a lot of organizations are starting to realize that after 18 months of this world, a lot of people are losing connection with the organizations they work with. They're not quite sure. They don't really have a deep seated feeling of purpose anymore. And whilst you could say, you know, okay, we need to learn to be better leaders and communicators, that's okay up to a point. But a lot of organizations are telling me that their employee engagement scores are going downhill whilst, you know, on all objective measures, things are pretty good. So, and a lot of people are saying, you know, that's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a worry. And that connection and identity thing is, a, is an interesting problem. And I also feel, I mean, it's, it's my own personal experience, but I also talk to people on all sides of the opinion on this topic. But staring down the barrel of a screen, as I like to say, is not really a healthy way to operate five days a week all day. It's just, it, I mean, it's tiring. We know, you know, even the, you know, the people who know a lot more about the science than I do say, that we are tuned for looking at people in the flesh, but looking at people in a screen is really, it's tiring for your brain because your, your eyes are trying to work out what's going on in the screen all the time. And we don't process that, but it's a big issue. So my point being is that's a negative. So the lessons are, we know we can change, we can change fast, but we are creatures of habit. So the thing we've got to learn is how do we exploit or how do we harness the habit bit of humanity about how to break habits which are bad and create habits which are good, you know, business-wise as well as personally, but since we're talking about business, it's, you know, processes and working practices are just the accumulation of people's habits, right? That's all they are, really. I mean, you know, they get enforced by software and all that, but it's kind of interesting. So I think that's one of the lessons that we've got to work out how to create, sustain, and change the habits we want to. Absolutely agree. You know, I think uh, we definitely all did change really fast and we did a pretty amazing job with that. I think we should all kind of celebrate, but we have not figured out the long tail of how this is going to work. But uh, speaking of staring down the barrel of a screen, as you put it, <laughs> I want to move on to uh, talk about technology stuff. And you know, what's interesting for us at APQC is we, we write a, a lot about all these kind of leading edge tech tools, but consistently on every survey, we still find that a lot of folks are sticking to their spreadsheets. Um, and we've been talking about things like RPA for so long. And for some folks, that's, you know, that's integral. That's that's figured out. That's done. That's part of everything. And then for some folks, it's it's new. So I think for our listeners are going to be coming from a lot of different places when it comes to technology. So what do you think is going to be the next phase of digital transformation specifically for finance, not kind of like at the broader business level? Yeah, I think I think that's a really interesting point. So you're absolutely right that all of our transformation focus for the past few years has been very focused on the technologies that come along. So whether it's RPA for point integration of, of processes or whether it's kind of financial planning and analysis tools or whether it's you know integrating you know accounts payable with a procurement or or whatever they've all been driven by specific technologies that come along and if you look at if you look at the results most organizations have got they've they've always been a bit disappointed they, they get very excited they invest a lot of money and a lot of time and they think, you know, we're going to be able to deliver this within six months and probably within nine months or 12 months, we're going to have a massive change in our business. 
And then two to three years later on, you're talking to them and they're saying, well, we implemented the software. Yeah, maybe it took a couple of months longer than expected, but we did that as we expected, but it's a lot harder to drive the value than we thought because nobody really thought about it because we assumed that the system was going to drive the behavior and it doesn't really. Well, it's particularly obvious in all of these kind of you know, accounts payable related things. So you've got all of these purchase to pay suites, which are great because you've got all your suppliers on a portal and they're all doing stuff and they're all of their purchase orders and contracts are all digitized. Well, that's the idea. And then ultimately you get invoices coming in. You don't need the people to process them because it's automatically matched. And But the reality is it requires an awful lot of people, not just in your own organization to change their behavior. And a lot of the suppliers, either because the software is actually a bit more clunky than advertised or just because they don't understand it or just because they don't feel they should have to do it, don't want to play ball. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing gets complicated. So, um, but it happens in all of these systems. So the thing that, I th that amazes me is I think the true transformations have happened. So we've automated stuff and digitized things. And yes, that's made some improvement, but the real transformations I think are when organizations reimagine how a particular part of their business works and it usually starts with the customer and I, I always think that uber is a great example of this whether or not you like uber or not as a company the idea that you know the idea that they've taken a process which starts with the consumer and that cycle to to identify a supplier which happens to be the driver and get you to where you want to go and you pay you commit to pay within a matter of seconds of getting the thing and then somebody turns up and all that cycle is really good. It's easy for the consumer. It's really good for the supplier. So the driver gets paid quicker than he would if he was a, you know, most other services. And also doesn't have a lot of the downsides. We've got lots of insurances you wouldn't have otherwise. So, and they're an Uber as a business, their, their cash flow is amazing. Better than, you know, most companies, you know, most companies would kill for their cash flow. And you think, the technology underneath that is really simple. It's not hard at all. But what they've really done is change the way you think about that process. And I think we'd do a lot better to do that about our processes. Again, starting with the customer and the consumer about driving through that, because if you've got some imagination about that, I think we're going to make a lot more change and then the technology will support it. So I think the next phase of transformation is true end-to-end -end processes. So it isn't just a finance process. It's the it's starting with the consumer or the customer through, you know, our, you know, you've obviously got to decide whether they're a customer you want to deal with. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, that's a credit issue. And then, you know, through the, the offer of services, them committing to a service, the automatic billing of the customer, you know, it, and obviously Uber's a kind of consumer thing. So it doesn't work necessarily for business to business, but a lot of it does. And that whole cycle being massively compressed is great news. So I think that's where the next big shift is. And I think this idea of the customer is not the same thing as a consumer is kind of quite important. Mm -hmm. The economic customer isn't necessarily the consumer of the service, which I think Uber have done quite well as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's what I think. Um, and maybe the other, the one other thing I'd say is coming back to this earlier idea of these these transformation initiatives that's taken a lot longer than we expected. I think now there's a real yearning for, we've got to deliver fast. So this idea of a Pareto principle, we, can we deliver 80% of the value in 20% or less of the cycle time, effort and cost? Let's do that because it's way better 
than waiting three years or four years to get some value that by the time we get it might not be worth as much as we thought because the world's changed. Anyway, that's my thought. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Here at APQC with our research that we've been doing the last year, we, we found a couple of surprising trends that we didn't expect in terms of how the world has shifted in particular with finance, such as virtual CFOs and virtual audits of the financial statements. So do you or have you seen any surprising trends on the horizon for the finance function? Yeah, this is a really tricky one because in, in my experience, things, you know what they say, you know, things are never as good as you expect them to be or as bad as you expect them to be. So when you look forward and you go, I'm really looking forward to that party, I'm really looking forward to that vacation. If you've really got high expectations, it's you, you're usually disappointed. Um, so you've got to have your expectations under control. <laughs> and um, I think the same is true with projections. We tend to think things are going to happen a lot quicker than they really do. So, I mean, all of the conversation about blockchain has been going on for seven or eight years. You know, really not much has happened. A lot of talk, a few case studies, but you know, not an awful lot has happened. So there's a lot of talk about things we can do but they tend to fall over on the problem of human behavior. Um, in fact, funny story, other side, I'm talking about blockchain, which is a big thing for finance, it is a big thing for finance, if, if and when it really takes off. But I remember having, um, attending a session with some big academics who were talking about the wonders of blockchain and how you wouldn't need to do a lot of things because it's aut automatically trusted and everything's gonna be great. And I made some, I asked a question, I said, look, if I were to try and sell a house on a blockchain enabled, network and I took a photograph of somebody else's house which is much nicer than mine and I offered to sell it and because this is trusted and you can't change it then that process would continue and I could sell my house for a lot more money than it's worth <laughs> because they'd think it's this other thing because everyone thinks it's trusted right and the academics made this amazing comment said yes he said that's a very good point he said that's what we academics call the interface to reality and I laughed I thought You've actually got something called the interface reality because isn't everything about reality <laughs> but anyway um the point the point i'm making is that a lot of the things so a lot of the ideas of virtual virtual activities and augmented activities assume that human behavior isn't very important so the idea of a virtual cfo is interesting but one of the roles of the CFO isn't just to perform tasks. In fact, you could argue a very small part of the role is to perform tasks. It's actually to win hearts and minds, get people aligned on common vision, get things done. Now that's very difficult to do if you're getting a snapshot of a person. Um, you know, you, you, that person isn't really knee deep in the business. Um, and the same with virtual audits. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do with, um, you know, with remote working and digital technologies. But one thing we know is it's very difficult to, comes back to human behavior, it's very difficult to change behavior or guide things you want to happen or observe things that are unnatural behavior without human humans involved, because otherwise you just assume it's just normal stuff. So that's a kind of long-winded introduction. So I, I think there's some obvious trends which are not surprising. I think we're eliminating consolidation as a financial activity because of large scale systems coming in. So everyone, so we don't have to consolidate from lots of different places. 
I think real-time forecasting is coming along, although you, it's easy to forecast costs, but much harder to forecast revenue, which is a bit of a problem. Um, so I think there's a lot of kind of obvious ones. I think the surprising trend for me is probably, or will be, the fact that we've spent at least 10 years talking about we're going to have data-driven data decision-making and everyone's going to be driven by data because we've got all this data, you know, it's easy. We've got so much of it. It's just sitting there. You can ask any question you want, natural language and all that. And you go, okay, sounds good. But in my experience, we've kind of, we've been bamboozled by that argument. And we've, you know, the whole of business has been bamboozled by the idea. If you get all this data from all these processes and all these systems in one place, you can ask any and all questions you want. The problem is that the questions you want to ask aren't that obvious and you need some really smart people to work out what those questions really are and turn it into something the data understands. So I think one of the big shifts is going to be someone's going to break that, um, they're going to obliterate that cycle because it takes way too long. Even today in 2021, it's taking people months to try and you know take a vacuum cleaner to the brains of business people and understand what it is that goes on and turn it into some kind of configuration for software. It's just woeful. It's really not, it's not agile at all. And I think you're going to see organizations, maybe businesses and people say there's a lot of the finance processes aren't unique to any business, you know, and that's one of the wonderful things about it. You know, that's why we have, you know, accounting and finance qualifications because there's some standards involved. So how, you know, how financial planning analysis works, how, uh, revenue recognition works, how accounts receivable works, accounts payable, general accounting, fixed assets, all that stuff is pretty standard. The only thing that differs is the specific things you're dealing with. And I think that knowledge about those processes can be encapsulated into software and you're going to completely obliterate the cycle time that's still ridiculous. And people are just going to get used to getting that immediately without having to wait for weeks or months for somebody to understand how we specifically you know, recognize our revenue and it shouldn't be that different to anybody else. Thanks, Dan. Um, you, you sparked some, uh, some ideas and questions that are kind of rolling around my head now. So if I can ask you a bonus question, are you, are, are you okay with that? I'm good for bonus questions. What do I win? <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of smart people and, and trying to figure out the data analytics and the processes and how we can move forward, what would you say the characteristics or talent or skill set that we should be looking for in the upcoming finance talent coming out of college that are entering into the finance functions? Do you, do you think that we need to be looking for or, or looking to train people uh, with certain skill sets or, or traits? I think that's a great question. Um, so the received wisdom is that um, that people choose accounting as a discipline because they can't think of anything else to do. Um, so, which, which, you know, it's kind of a joke, but as a friend of mine was a accountant for a lot of his career and he took another role. When he used to give talks, he said, um, I, I used to be an accountant, but I didn't have the personality for it, which was quite a funny joke when you think about it. But anyway, um, so <laughs> um, the point is that Accounting has been long regarded as a technical discipline with a small t, um, but it's but finance and accounting 
is much more than tech. In fact, the technical discipline is largely automated. The discipline we want is about is communication skills, the ability to articulate a point of view, look at alternative outcomes. When you look at things, what they, these are things that could happen. It could be A, B, or C. Be able to articulate what that means and what it means upstream and downstream for a process. Um, the creativity to come up with that. There may be a bit of passion. So I don't think necessarily there are skills we need to train in people because training is a specific form of education. I, I wonder whether we need to look more widely at the core skills and aptitudes of the people coming in to the profession um, at the early stage, but also reinforce those things. So the ability to um, you know, think outside the box, um, you know, re people who are keen to communicate and understand what else is going on. So they're not just interested in accounting. In fact, the best accountants are people who aren't very interested in accounting, they're interested in everything else and how it relates to accounting. And that's kind of, those are kind of the skills and that's become going to become ever more important as we automate more of the, the kind of the lower ends of that uh, activity. So I think it's a really interesting point and skills, you know, the skills we need in lots of disciplines are becoming more stark, they're becoming more clear that we don't, the technical skills we can train in people, but the, the skills that really matter, you know, you might need to have got from kind of a young age. It makes me think of, uh, I, I, a while back I interviewed a, a young uh, accountant uh, and she said, that her career advice to other folks in accounting was get good enough at it to go into a business that you absolutely love. And yeah. she works for a basketball team right. and she loves seeing she's accounting. She said is the best way to get a whole picture of the business. And when you put it like that, it sounds pretty exciting. And I think that that's interesting to see that some talent are kind of seeing the profession in the same way that you're kind of talking about it, less of a, a technical discipline to sort of optimize and more of a, a big picture view. That's a really good point. So it's more of a platform than a profession because it's, because in that, it, I mean, what's interesting is you see some really great accountants who've moved on to very different areas of business, but their core platform skills are really important, but you wouldn't necessarily think they're accountants in what they're doing. And I think maybe that, as you say, I think that may well be the answer. And I think we, I mean, in general, in business, we want to avoid the the tower thinking that whatever you start in, you go up a tower, you, mm. you get better and you get promoted is a really rubbish way of developing. You've got to get across, you've got to move across the organization into different functions, learn new things all the time. And that thirst for knowledge, coming back to your question about what do we need? If you haven't got a thirst for knowledge, you know, it's not just accounting, that's a big weakness in business because when everything's changing so fast and problems are complex and multifaceted, you need to have a thirst for knowledge to keep asking questions about why is that? What does that work that way? Absolutely. Totally agree. Love that thirst for knowledge. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dan. Not at all. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. I feel so, a better person for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So um, if folks want to learn more about your work and consider solutions, they should go to consider.biz. Um, and in particular, I'd recommend uh, checking out the thinking and white papers tab for some really great stuff. Anything else you want to point folks to, Dan? Uh, no, I'd agree. The, the, the newsletters, the thinking and podcasts have got a lot of kind of interesting stuff with 
you know, thought leaders from industry and some some interesting stuff that makes us think and I think is helpful. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, once again, this is Mercy Harper. And this is Megan McCullough. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please visit apqc.org to learn more and have a great rest of your day.